kids something up, which for me back then was usually candy, and that we ate fish on Friday. That's what I remember from Len. And I'm not sure I really had any idea what the purpose of doing either of those two things was, other than it was supposed to be some kind of a sacrifice for me. But since I like salty snacks more than sugar, and I've always liked fish, neither one of those was actually that hard for me. So I got away with it. Now, nevertheless, the feel of Lent for me, when I think back on it, when I was a kid, the feel of Lent was kind of dark and somber. And I know that because Lent is a season when we're encouraged to fast and we're encouraged to examine ourselves and to to turn from any habits of, of sin that have taken hold, it can still sometimes have that serious, somber feel. But, but the word Lent actually means springtime. You know, Lent isn't supposed to be so much about what we're turning from as it is who we're turning toward. And just like springtime is when we emerge from the cold and the dark and the, the dreariness of winter into the warmth and the light of, of springtime and all sorts of new growth begins, so Lent is meant to celebrate our emergence from the the cold and the darkness of sin and death into the light and the warmth of God's love so that more of God's life can break forth in us. So it's a good thing, right? Yeah. The fasting that we do in Lent, a lot of us still fast in some way during Lent, give up something for Lent. That isn't meant to make us suffer, and it's certainly not to have us earn some kind of browning points for God. Did I just lose my sound? I did, didn't I? I heard it change. I'm good now? Okay. So it's, it's not meant to make us suffer or to earn some kind of brownie points for God. It's meant to create some extra room in our lives for God's presence so that we experience more of his grace and his love. That's why we do those things. So last week, we wrapped up our seven-week sermon series on the book of Joshua. And I would say the main thing I got out of that. The main thing I sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me through that, through Joshua as, as we read and studied that book was very simply, trust God, right? You can trust God. Trust in his faithfulness. Trust in his goodness. And God wants us to know that we can always trust him. And since we can always trust him, we can always depend on him. Well, I, I want to grow in that kind of trust and dependence. And I want all of us to grow in that. So I think one of the best ways to do that is to grow in our prayer life. You know, to grow in a life of prayer where we're talking to God about everything, sharing all of our needs with him, sometimes just being in his presence in silence too, Um, opening ourselves to whatever he wants to do in us. So this year for Lent, our focus is going to be on prayer. Our sermon series is called Ask, but prayer is not just about asking God for things we need. Prayer is really about asking to experience more of God himself because that's how we come to trust him and depend on him more. I recently read uh, what I thought was just an awesome book on prayer. Uh, It's called, excuse me, it's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Uh, by Tyler Stanton, who's a pastor out in Oregon now and uh, as well as the head of the 24-7 prayer movement in the U.S. Uh, Well, his book 
didn't just give me information about prayer, it, it made me want to pray more, which is what I'm hoping this sermon series does for you too. So we'll be drawing from that book, referencing it throughout the series, and I'd highly recommend reading it if you're looking for a great book to read on prayer. So um, let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, come now. As, as we step into this season, Lord, of Lent, we, we do want to open ourselves to you and to everything you want to do in us. And, and I do pray that, that you would increase our desire for you, increase our hunger for you, draw us into, into more of your life, but even make us want to be drawn into more of your life. Stir that up in us, Lord, too. Uh, and I pray that today as, we're, as we begin looking at this topic of prayer, that you would um, stir us, Lord, to want to just be with you. So uh, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Philippians chapter 4, and I'm reading verses 4 to 7. <clears throat> it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, the tagline that we have for this sermon, kind of a, the subtitle of the sermon series, is an invitation into the wonder and mystery of prayer, which also happens to be the subtitle for that Praying Like Monks book. I totally stole it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, a great, it's a great tagline. It's really what I'm, I'm hoping this will do because it expresses how I hope you hear what we say during this series. Prayer is something that I think most of us feel we don't do enough of and we don't do well enough, and so we tend to feel guilty, right? But I think it's because we've come to see prayer as a duty rather than as a wonder and a mystery that we're meant to enjoy. The Philippians passage is... Uh, a great place to start wrestling with the wonder and mystery of prayer. As, as Stanton points out in that book, Praying Like Monks, uh, one of the frustrating things about Scripture is that it rarely reads like Ikea instructions. Uh, not that those are always easy to understand either, but, but Scripture rarely gives us step-by-step -step instructions. Despite what Christians sometimes say, the Bible really was not written as a manual for how to do life. Instead, the scriptures give us stories and images and metaphors and analogies, uh, riddles, all written to draw us into a way of life that's more wonderful than we ever could have imagined. Most of us spend far more time worrying and thinking anxious thoughts than we do praying. True? And yet Philippians tells us that God is offering us an exchange. He is offering to exchange our worries for his peace. And the key to that exchange, he tells us, is prayer. 
So why don't we pray more? Well, one reason is because we're busy. We have school and jobs and kids and elderly parents. Uh, We live in a busy culture where being busy is almost a badge of honor, probably not even almost. Plus, we have smartphones and Netflix and Google to distract us. We are busy, distracted people who have a host of things vying for our attention all the time. And yet, even busy, distracted people make time for the things that really matter to them. So it seems that perhaps prayer is not one of those things for us. Why is that? Well, probably because we don't think prayer really works. We don't really believe what Philippians says. Maybe we haven't experienced prayer relieving our anxiety. Sometimes we don't pray because the idea of praying stirs up fear in us. It actually stirs up fear in us rather than relieving it. So, for instance, we might not pray for fear of being naive or foolish. Like, what if this, none of this is real? What if it doesn't really work? Am I just being childish or naive if I try to pray? Or, or, or to pray is to risk believing, too. To, to pray is to risk trusting someone who could let me down. The pray is to get my hopes up, and we learn to avoid that so we can avoid being disappointed, don't we? So rather than risk all of that, just don't pray. We also don't pray sometimes for fear of silence, I think. We're, you know, we're not just busy people. We are addicted to busyness and noise. So prayer, though, takes us into that place of silence where nothing seems to be happening. We can be good at at talking to God or singing to God or working for God, but prayer means risking interacting with God on his terms, which often seems to include a lot of silence. It's more comfortable to be busy. And we don't pray for fear of doing it wrong. I think that's maybe really common. We think everyone else prays better than we do, don't we? We're not eloquent enough, confident enough, comfortable enough. We don't know the right words. We're not sure we have the right motives. I mean, maybe my prayers are just selfish and I shouldn't be praying them. It's like we think God has some kind of scorecard grading our prayers, and rather than risking getting a bad grade, we just drop the class, right? We don't pray. So Dave Wagner told me a story about his mom that I thought was just really a great story on that theme, so he's going to come up and share that. Hi. Uh, uh, my mom's 92, uh, and she, uh, uh, she's been through uh, a couple bouts with the uh, hospital and re- followed by rehab, and uh, over the last three months now ended up in assisted living. And uh, along the way, uh, there's just been a lot of spiritual lessons for her and for me. Uh, But uh, the one that uh, uh, I think stuck out the most was she had doubled down on prayer in her first uh, uh, stint in a rehab facility. And in in a book that she had, there were pre-written prayers, and she would when I'd come and visit her, she'd read these to me. 
and they really gave her comfort. And then somewhere along the line, she said, I discovered that I can pray to God in my own words. Now, talk about a discovery when you're 92 to get, to get that. And it's really carried her through. Um, she even mentioned today uh, when I talked with her that <clears throat> she's been praying aloud as she goes up and down the hall. She just started going up and down the halls with her walker without somebody helping her now. And she's, she's praying aloud, Jesus, please walk not too far in front or not too far behind, but just with me. And she's praying that aloud. And she said, I think I'm becoming known for like praying in the halls. So anyway, it, it's cool to see that in, in your mom after all these years. Thought that was thought that was great. Just that at 92, you can come into this new understanding of prayer and like oh, I can just talk to Jesus, and and that's what He wants us to do, right? Just be able. Not that the written prayers are great too, but to be able to just talk to Jesus—that's a great thing. But anyways, there are lots of reasons why we don't pray. But as I was writing this talk, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying that at its very root, the reason we don't pray is because we think about prayer as if it were a kind of transaction. If I pray, then God will do something for me. I mean, that's, I think that's how we tend to think of it. And it would be easy to interpret our, our Philippians 4 passage that way. If I pray, then God will take away my anxiety and give me his peace. If I do this, then God will do that. It's a transaction. And so then if I pray... And after praying, I'm still anxious, I decide prayer doesn't work. Or if I pray for a job I want and I don't get it, I think prayer must not work. Or if I pray for someone I love to be healed and they're not, then I decide prayer doesn't work and I just stop doing it, right? But prayer is not about a transaction. That's what idol worship is about. If I make the right sacrifice to an idol, the idol will make sure that my crops grow or the rain crumbs or whatever it is. Idol worship is transactional. Prayer isn't about a transaction. Prayer is about a relationship. That's why this is an invitation into the wonder and mystery of prayer. Prayer is about drawing us deeper and deeper into this real experiential relationship with the God of all creation who loves you beyond measure. I mean, talk about wonder and mystery. Now, of course, God does want us to pray for our own needs and, and to pray for the needs of others. That's part of the wonder and mystery too. And God always hears and answers our prayers even if the answer isn't always what we want to hear. But prayer always draws us closer to God, deeper into the wonder and mystery of knowing him if we're willing to let that happen. And can I just point out, this is what you're created for. That is what you're created for. You know, this is what you're wired for, deep union with God. That's what you're made for. Did you know that every sin you struggle with, 
every compulsion to fill your life with busyness and distraction is a misguided attempt to fill that need for union with God with a substitute. That's all it really is. But the substitutes never work. You're wired for union with God. When we think about this Philippians passage, we often start with the don't be anxious. That's where we think about it in our head. But, but that's not where the passage starts. The passage begins with rejoice in the Lord, the Lord is near. This is a passage about centering our lives on Jesus who is always near us and always with us, whom we can always entrust our lives to. And if that's what I'm doing, I will, of course, want to spend time talking with him and listening to him and just being with him, uh, which is what prayer is really all about. You are wired for union with God. I remember when my wife Lisa and I were dating a couple of years back. She uh, graduated from college and took a teaching job in this little farm town in western Illinois and I had a teaching internship in the Chicago suburbs that same, during that same period. So we were apart for quite a while. And this was back before the time of, of like FaceTime or any of those things, right? Um, this, I think this was before the time of the internet, actually. So, so we could talk on the phone. That's what we would do. And, and this wasn't cell phones. This was landlines, right? Remember they had wires attached to them? So... These were landlines where you, and you had to pay for long distance calls, pay extra by the minute. And we would have these long, long calls, <laughs> hours as I remember them, not because we had anything to say to each other in particular, nothing all that important to say. We just wanted to be together, right? Well, that's the kind of prayer that Jesus is inviting us into. Now, I know that can make us feel guilty too, though, because we don't have all sorts of hormones raging through us, creating this romantic desire to be with Jesus like we do when we're in love with someone, right? It's not quite the same. Well, I want to relieve you of that guilt. It's okay. I don't feel that overwhelming desire to be with Jesus in prayer most of the time either. But at the same time, I understand that as I spend time in prayer each day, it's not because it's some kind of religious duty that I need to check off my list, nor is it that if I, I just pray the right prayers in the right way for long enough, that will make God give me what I want. It's that as I spend time in prayer each day with the Lord who is near me, who's with me, who's in me, I'm being drawn into that wonder and mystery of union with God. My relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit grows deeper and deeper. The reason we receive God's peace in exchange for anxiety isn't because we've prayed the right prayer or prayed hard enough or long enough. It's because through prayer, I come to know deep in my heart that I really can trust God who loves me, who's with me, no matter what happens or doesn't happen. The exchange happens not because I've completed some transaction, 
but because I've grown in my relationship with God. You are wired for that. You're wired for union with God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. We were talking about this in my small group a couple of weeks ago. And Sarah Framuth uh, said she found it interesting that this verse appears in a psalm that's talking about the earth giving away and waters roaring and wars and tumults and, and desolation. In the midst of all that, it, it, when everything seems to be going crazy, God says, be still and know that I am God. Different versions of the Bible translate those opening words as be still or stand silent or stop fighting, which is kind of interesting, or my favorite, cease striving. Cease striving and know that I am God. I think the psalm is saying to us that in the midst of all the busyness and noise of life, in the midst even of all the things that are really hard and really confusing, things that are not working like we wish they would, in the midst of everything going on, whether everything is good or that everything is bad or some mixture of both, in the midst of everything going on, come to God in prayer. And not with a sense of striving. Not as if prayer were some kind of duty or something I have to do just right, as if we need to convince God or beg God to do something. Prayer doesn't start with us talking, as if God needed us to get him uh, to pay attention to what's going on. Prayer starts with us seeing God for who he is and then entering into union with him so that we can be a part of what he's already doing. We're wired for union with God. So he says to us, cease striving and know that I am God. See, I believe that's God's invitation to us this Lent, to come to him knowing that he's good, trusting that he's good. Maybe sometimes it's more trusting than knowing, right? Step of faith. Trusting that he's faithful. Trusting that we can trust him. To come to him in prayer, not with a sense of striving to get God to do what we want, but with a sense of rest, knowing he's God. We used to sing a song years ago about being wrapped in his arms of love. That's, a, that's an old, old chorus, but that's a great picture, right? We're wrapped in his arms of love. That's what we're trying to experience through prayer. We're being invited to step deeper into our union with God through the wonder and the mystery of prayer. Usually for, for Lent, we create a devotional for you to use. Uh, this year, instead, we thought we'd try something different. We're encouraging you to respond to God's invitation into prayer by, get this, praying. <laughs> we learn to pray by praying. That's how we learn to do it is by doing it. Well, I found this app a couple of months ago. Um, actually, I think it was mentioned maybe in the book I read called Lectio 365. Uh, and I have found it to be super helpful. That's the icon and the name of it up there on the screen um, for deepening my prayer life. It has, has a morning prayer 
and an evening prayer that it can help you develop just a great rhythm for your prayer life. So you can either read it on the app or you can listen to it, and that's very soothing. Um, um, we've started listening to the evening one actually in bed before we fall asleep, and it's really something that's great. So, but I asked Lisa to come up, my wife Lisa to come up and share for a minute about how she's been using it, because as usual, she has surpassed me in this. So, uh, yeah. Uh. That was my intent. No, he, he mentioned it a few weeks ago, and I started using uh, the devotional. And I found that <clears throat> I, I started listening to it while I was brushing my teeth and getting ready for the day. And there's quite a bit in it, so I felt like I was missing part of it. So then I would keep listening to it as I made breakfast. So I would actually repeat listening to it like three or four times every morning. Um, and the interesting thing is I realized after a few weeks that I felt like um, my mindset was changing because in that time, in that time, otherwise I would have been thinking other thoughts. And I felt like I'm less anxious and less worried because I'm more focusing on what's going on in this devotional. So that's been really helpful. And then the other thing is that um, in the devotional, they usually repeat a phrase. And so one of those really caught my attention. It um, was part of a psalm, and it says, I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. And so that has stuck with me. And throughout the day, that comes to mind. <clears throat> and uh, again, it's something that has, like I'm sitting down to eat or taking a walk, and I'll think, oh, I'm in the very presence of God. How refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. And so it's really been changing how I live, I guess. So... Anyway, I hope you'll try it out. Thanks. That's great. Um, yeah, talk about taking every thought captive to Christ, right? That's what we're really describing there. That's really good. Um, so I'm hoping that you'll use that as we go into this, uh, this Lent season. There is also a version of the app that you can do with your kids. It's called Lectio for families. That's this one. Same people put it out. So it's the same idea, just a little bit simpler so that it would work to do as a family with little kids. So that could be an option for you too. And if you are totally non-techie and you don't use apps, um, we put together a prayer card which is available, I think it's on the counter right outside the door there and possibly in the cafe too. Um, this is a format for prayer that we took based on the Lectio 365 app, so um, so you can join in with us even if you don't use apps. Um, so you have three options there, but however you do it, um, I hope that you will use one of them all through the Lent season and just see what it does for your prayer life, what it does for your relationship with God, because you are wired for union with him, and we want to press into that during this season. Amen? Amen. All right, well, we're going to continue now by receiving the Lord's Supper.